Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I am Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. If you enjoy today's program, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Our guest today is Veronique Dirigi, who is a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center associated with George Mason University and a national syndicated columnist. So welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, so we're, we want to talk about a couple things, mostly uh, trade, but want to talk a little bit at the beginning about the Green New Deal. It's a little hard to say what exactly the Green New Deal is, actually. It's Right now, what it is, it's, it's a resolution. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. It's nothing, nothing but a resolution. That's all it is. Yep. A plan to come up with a plan to save the planet somehow. Within 10 years. Within 10 years, right. Yes, yes. Not only that, so there's this resolution that says we need to get zero, net zero carbon emissions in 10 years and also make sure that while we're doing that, everyone gets a good paying job in healthcare and there aren't really any details. And also Senator Leader, Leader McConnell has said, okay, well, great, let's, let's vote on it. And the, the proponents of the bill are like, no, 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 you can't, you can't vote on this. Yeah. It's not ready. But they better get ready if they want to achieve all of this uh, in 10 years, if they want to nationalize our, our entire economy. Right. It's- well, you know, Stalin only needed five years, right? So there's they built in a margin of error there, I think. He, he, he you know, they had this, the five-year plan in the Soviet Union, and this is 10. So, you know, maybe it's twice as ambitious. I don't know. But so uh, within those confines, what is your general takeaway from uh, the Green New Deal? On one hand, it's very unserious. It's just a uh, wish list. Uh, bound by no reality. And I feel like it's even weird that we're talking about it. But at the same time, this is something that so many people are talking about and seem to be taking seriously that I feel that in spite of how unserious it is, I mean, it's not just unserious, it's like crazy policy because of its cost. For one thing, even if you leave the the whole freedom aspect and economic uh, economic efficiency aspect. It, it is so expensive, but everyone's talking about it. So I think we have no choice but to actually take it seriously. So uh, one of the things the authors of the Green New Deal put out some supplementary material when they introduced the resolution that they've later disavowed or taken back and said, no, no, no it's just the resolution. Uh, however, uh, I did want to talk. One of the things that was in that supplementary material, because you raised the question of, well, this is going to be really costly. How do we pay for it? And they were pretty dismissive about that. But the idea seems to be that they are relying on something called modern monetary theory, which tells them that you actually don't have to pay for government programs. You can just print money. So it's, again, because it lacks uh, details. Um, We can only go by, you know, like, you know, very like we can't can only make assumptions, but so it has a Medicare for all plan, the Bernie Sanders plan. My colleague Chuck Blahouse has estimated being it all the giving the benefit of the doubt to the Bernie Sanders plan, thirty-two trillion dollars in ten in ten years. Then uh, you have to probably add another ten trillion dollars based on the, the work by uh, Brian Riedel for like the stuff like free college and, and a bunch of other free stuff and another $10 trillion. Then you have the 
universal basic income, which that could be just massive. This could be like $25 billion, depending on how much everyone is getting. And then there's the whole replacement of uh, because all our, our homes are supposed to be outfitted for green stuff. And we need to like do massive investment on solar. And it's anywhere between like probably like 20 and 40 trillion dollars these are trillions right so it's like 40 plus 12 zeros so it's a it's a lot of money so you, you put it all together and you you up north of 100 uh 100 trillion dollars in 10 years so it's a lot of money right so like our economy right now is 20 trillion dollars our debt is 22 our budget is is um is above Four trillion. So just to give you a scale. Yeah. So this would be on the and and it should be noted. You know, uh, if we're talking about ten trillion dollars a year, most of that is for the non-environmental components of the thing. So you're, you're talking about roughly half of four to five times increase in the current federal budget, and you'd end up with an increase of somewhere in the range of half, fifty percent of current GDP. Perhaps more because who knows what sort of uh, you know, the economy might not grow so well under that. Yeah. So our debt right now has just crossed our gross debt has just crossed over is, is over a hundred percent GDP, hundred and ten. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a lot of uh, debt to GDP ratio, a big debt to GDP ratio. But they say it doesn't matter because the importance of our of our own currency, we could just print our debt away right yeah so th- th- this is this is the response is that it, it doesn't matter how much it costs because we have our own currency with the dollar and so we can just print as much money as we want Venezuela has its own currency too does it <laughs> yeah I mean and you know we've experienced in the past with monetary irresponsibility so it's not it's just not first it's not a new idea. There's actually, but there's not a lot of solid academic work that has been done in favor of it, like just to back it up. And and all the economists who've actually looked at it have come out completely dismissing the idea and, and you know, and a massive amount of limitation. Now, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people, places you can point to, including the U.S. I mean, let's not forget, you know, in the 70s, um, inflation was a real problem. I mean, it, it was a real issue. And and I think we've forgotten this uh, monetary reality. So now we live in kind of the opposite. We've lived, you know, with the uh, negative interest rates and, and all that stuff. We've, we've forgotten. We've just forgotten that mishandling monetary policy can have really dire consequences. Not to mention that there's no there's no magic weapon to, you know, witch away fiscal responsibility. It just it doesn't happen. <laughs> right, right. It seems like the sort of thing that a twenty eight year old bartender might come up with. <laughs> I don't mean to be rude, but Yeah. You know, I was I was talking with a, a friend of mine last night who who is a liberal and and she doesn't follow policy very closely, but she's expressing something I've heard many people express, which is, I think they're really worried about this moment because they recognize that there's something insane about the AOC Warren uh, trend into the presidential platform, and they recognize that it's insane. Everyone, but no one knows how to get rid of it. Right. Well, and it, it seems like a particularly odd time right now where we have a strong economy, we're seeing job growth, we're seeing wage growth. It seems like a particularly odd time for us to suddenly be uh, fascinated with socialism and socialist you know, economic proposals. No, yeah, I, I, I agree. 
it's there's this we're at this weird moment where I mean it's a weird moment all, across the board. I mean this total sense of discontent all around on the left and on the right. When you you hear you know the president talk constantly about how we're being abused through our trade deals and how we're under attack by immigrants, there's a real language of like you know kind of this, this is really bad people. And uh, and the left is is also just you know young people being screwed because of their their college debt and you know it's it's insane it's it's hor- horrifying that we should have to pay any healthcare out of pocket it's really an abuse that not everyone has not guaranteed and 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 you know it's not new if you think about it uh, President Trump well actually candidate Trump at the time and candidate Clinton both had their big economic debate in Detroit so there's this kind of like sense that you know like somehow this time which is you know the best time we've ever had when you measure it by by a lot of uh, of things I mean we are wealthier we have more consumer goods we are like we have access to much more things that are like you know we're healthy I mean there's just so many things right and yet there's always this kind of our oh, man you know the that's what was great you know like uh, elizabeth warren yesterday had a tweet talking about how back when she was growing up in the 50s you know like uh, on minimum wage you could actually grow you could have a family of a uh, four comfortably now it's it's really kind of first it's questionable but it's also like what were you getting for that minimum wage like for that minimum wage right the the, the quality of life it was completely different you can't there's just, everyone is like harking back to that time where supposedly things were great of course it was not great if you were black if you were a woman and if you were gay but you know i mean it's it's bizarre it's a bizarre time you know we've talked a little bit about some of the craziness on the left with the you know the appeal of socialism the green new deal all the all that sort of stuff at the same time you have had you know there've been some big changes on the right in terms of populism and views on tariffs. And of course, the administration has, there's been various initiatives going on with trade war with China. There were earlier issues with Canada and Europe and other things. So what, where are we on that right now? And, you know, are we, are we winning the trade war? (laughs) So the way this started was the president was talking about how everyone was hurting us, um, you know, and, and he wanted to renegotiate other things, NAFTA, with Mexico and Canada. And one of the ways he went about this was to impose steel and, and aluminum tariffs on everyone in the name of, of, uh, of uh, national security. And the idea was not just to protect the steel industry, which is clearly something the president cares about, but also to give him leverage in negotiation with South Korea, with so with Mexico and 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 Canada for for NAFTA. So there were some renegotiation. They reached an agreement, which was on one hand kind of pretty cosmetic changes, but also the, there were some good changes from the perspective of of, of free traders, and then some really bad trade uh, changes from the perspective of the uh, the uh, American consumers for the auto industry. And here we are. So months, uh, so it was in June of last year, the metal tariffs are still up, right? So it means that for all these months, American consumers of steel and aluminum have been paying significantly more than, than uh, we should 
uh, in the negotiating agenda, which has been renegotiated. And, uh, and the same is happening with, with uh, China. There's been uh, hundreds of billions of dollars uh, in, in tariffs implemented from the, from, the, from the beginning. Well, actually, I don't know exactly what the final number is. There's a threat of even more tariffs uh, come March 1st on, on Chinese good, which, again, will hurt the American people. And I can guarantee you that we will get a saving face agreement. It's no guarantee with this administration that the tariffs are going to go down. I don't know who's winning the trade war. I don't think Americans are. I don't think the Chinese are because no one ever is winning a trade war. But I can guarantee you that American people are not winning. Yeah, no, I think that that's certainly true sitting, you know, Josiah and I are both in Texas. And I know um, I have a day job as an attorney and I work with a lot of companies that are industrial or in oil and gas and things of that nature. And they, they heavily rely on steel. And so what, you know, what they're seeing is um, the cost of steel, whether it's domestic or foreign, is going up because if you're a steel producer, a U.S. steel producer, you see your competition is raised, you know, has effectively had their prices raised. You get to sort of fill in the gap and start raising your domestic prices as well. So the, the price of steel across the board is up. And that's that's hurting, um, you know, manufacturers, U.S. manufacturers. So I think there's a lot of companies that are starting to feel the pain from that. A lot of companies have been feeling that pain. And the thing that people don't understand, right? When you're, I mean, I talk to a lot of people who say, well, you know, I mean, why? Why? I mean, if the cost of buying steel abroad is more expensive, then people are going to buy it here. Well, it's not. It's not as easy. For one thing. Uh, one of the things that inevitably protectionism does and these steel tariffs are doing is that they're raising the price of domestic steel. So even if it were possible for you to shift your uh, your steel consumption from foreign steel to domestic steel, right, you would face a higher cost, right? People don't like so so and that's that's the first thing. The other thing which is actually more significant is actually a lot of people who are buying steel abroad, they're buying it abroad not because, you know, as a matter of principle or not just because, you know, they're just out for like the, the cheapest deal, no matter what the quality. It's because usually it is steel that they cannot find in the US, right? So these people, these consumers, and by the way, it's also worth reminding listeners that the seventy percent of the market of the domestic market for steel is actually domestic steel. So it means it's only a small part that is being imported. But that small part, like this 25 or 30%, depending on the year, it's actually steel that can't be found, or it's quality that is not available in the U.S. It's specialty steel. So, for instance, I was talking to someone from Toyota, and she was tell- telling me that actually Toyota imports only 10% of its steel from abroad. But that 10%, it can't be found in the U.S., Right, so they have to foot the increase in the cost, and the same is true. You know, yesterday I know that last night they, the the pre, the, the Department of Commerce sent uh, its report on auto tariffs as ter- automobile, foreign automobile, foreign import and parts as, as a as a national security threat, which would allow the president to impose twenty five percent on imported cars and and um, and uh, parts, and the same is going to happen. What they're hoping to achieve, which is that 
all cars, foreign and domestic, are built in the U.S. with U.S. parts. It's not going to happen. What it, what's going to happen for sure is that the cost of new cars is going to be significantly higher. So um, the, the economy overall, despite all this, seems to be doing pretty well, as was mentioned before. So is that, I mean, is that without the tariffs and the trade stuff, it would we'd be doing a lot better uh, is it that the bill hasn't come due yet what uh, are we still like kind of at a relatively minor level to where it could have been what how do you see the trade stuff affecting the broader economy so i mean it's not surprising that on at, at a national level we don't see it as effectively because uh, trade is only a third of our giant economy and the the tariffs have been you know applied to specific industries it's not across the board it's not a third of our economy that's being affected right so what you, when you want to see when you look at uh, if you want to see how much uh, people are affected by this, you have to really look at the impact of the tariffs in downstream industries. Because that's the other thing that people don't quite understand. People say, oh, you know, we've heard this all the time in the debate leading to the tariffs. It's like, oh, you know, we consumers will be fine, you know, paying $100 more every year for whatever, our iPhone or, or whatever. But the truth of the matter is like a lot of what, third of what Americans import are input, right? So the people paying the price are not like the final consumers necessarily, even though ultimately they will. It's also all the workers and, and manufacturers who are importing stuff that they use to produce things in the U.S. So the fact that we don't have a big, like a, a significant, uh, you know, national, like we don't see it at a national level, it's, it's just not that surprising. But you really see it at the, uh, at the you see it at the, um, at the downstream level and the industry that are affected. And let's not forget that added to our protectionist measures is all the stuff that the foreigners have done to to retaliate, right? So like look at farmers. I mean they're taking a big hit. Like you just look at the soy market. It's like it's a massive hit. No one's more importantly, the thing that really concerns me the most is and, and how I think it's so incredibly counterproductive to be imposing these tariffs is that they work in opposite to the great stuff that's been done on the tax front. Let me, let me ask you a question. I, I know you've uh, made the case a few times uh, that that we should be sort of unilateral in our approach um, to free trade, that we should just accept the benefits of free trade, even if our trade partners are abusive. And I want to come back to that. But the president seems to take the same approach to China and Canada and the EU for for their trade practices and what he considers to be unfair. But their situations are very different. From your perspective, on one hand, I know you you, you take this approach of uh, we should we should just take the benefits of trade and be unilateral about it. But are there any tools available to, to the Trump administration where if they want to counter certain abuses by China uh, that they could do as opposed to just apply the same type of, you know, hit every nail with the hammer of, of tariffs? Yes. I mean, there are ways. You know, there is a first, like, I think going through the WTO and multilateral agreement is the way to go. I mean, you're right that I think that I, I think that, uh, well, in fact, not just I, it's just Economists have shown that the benefit of free trade, the economic benefit of free trade is unilateral fundamentally. It's because there's never any instance where it's worth punishing your consumers with higher prices just to convince others to behave properly with their with their own consumers. But but 
I think it, the multilateral approach that we have been uh, that we've been using for the last however decades is actually the way to go. You you can get together and agree, be the you know as as little protectionist as you as you can, and and you can uh, you can agree. To reduce subsidies, you can agree to abide by rules about about IP. You can, uh, you know, th- that's the way to go about it. Well, and I think that uh, there's a first off, the USMCA still has to be ratified by Congress, but Congress has a couple of other bills potentially in front of it. Uh, one from Pat Toomey, which I think is probably similar to the one that had been uh, authored by uh, Senator Lee in the past that would rein in the Section 232 National Security Tariffs. But there's also this Reciprocal Trade Act, which would expand the president's tariff powers. Do you, uh, I don't really expect you to be able to sort of predict with certainty the uh, the future of, the, of these bills, but do you think that either of these bills are likely to get passed uh, in the current uh, climate in Congress? I think that under no circumstances will the reciprocal uh, act will be passed because that would be disastrous. I think Congress has the sense now that maybe it has t- delegated uh, power to the president um, on this, but I, I don't know. I, so I don't even know if the USMCA is going to be is going to be um, approved by Congress because the Democrats historically have always been. I mean, I shouldn't say historically because uh, President Clinton was 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 very free trade, but but I. I don't know. I don't know that anything can go through right now. Well, I have another question for you. Um, Over the weekend, I was seeing uh, some comments from Senator Rubio, and he was essentially lamenting uh, that the United States really isn't in a position to counter China because China has this robust industrial policy, but we don't. Do you think that we should have uh, some type of industrial policy so that we can counter China? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. When you free market people, and, and, and Senator Rubio still try to pretend that he has an attachment to to the free market ideal, uh, actually believe that anything that resembles a five-year plan is going to actually work. It is really bizarre. The It's very, very bizarre, like the uh, fear. China seems to be changing people's mind about uh, the way to produce economic growth. And they have this belief that uh, that the, the, the authoritarian top-down measures imposed by government somehow that we know wouldn't work here will work in China. And and it's just very, very bizarre. Like, so if you take, I know like one of the arguments that Senator Rubio is using is like, oh, the industries of the future, as if we actually know what they are, or as, or as if the government really knows what they are, you know, like five 5G, right? If they get dominance in this, then, you know, through their through their non-market approach, we we have to combat by doing the thing. And it's completely insane because first, this notion that they're going to be as successful as we fear they're going to be shows that we don't understand market and how they work. Have we forgotten about malinvestments? Have we forgotten about distortion of the economy? Have we forgotten about, about the failures of the past when this has been done? Apparently, yes. But it's also, it's this misunderstanding that, so this is what we should do it to. The way to combat, if we have to, China for, and to make the U.S. more competitive is to actually get the government out of the way. And so, for instance, for 5G, allow permissionless innovation. 
for American producers, uh, cut the regulations, make sure that entrepreneurs can produce the best they can. Put your money where your mouth is. When I took my American citizenship test, I was told, I was I learned for my questions, that the America was a free market economy. That's how you work in a free market economy. You don't become, you don't suddenly draw a five-year plan and become a centralizer name that China is centralized. Well, that uh, I think you learned a valuable lesson there, which is that uh, when you were told that America was a free market economy, you can't always trust what the government tells you. <laughs> to close out, we like to end with maybe a lighter question. Uh, so we often ask folks if, there is, if they have a favorite movie or TV show that relates to the policy area that we've been talking about. So I don't know, I don't know if there's a, a lot of trade-related films, uh, but uh, are there any uh, perhaps films or TV shows shows or things that illustrate free market principles that that you really enjoy or are a fan of? Hollywood is actually not really known for uh, free market principles. But yeah, I guess I'll say Dallas. If you want to learn what how cartel work, oil cartel work, just watch Dallas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very, very good for Texas too. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's just, uh, it's really, I've always thought it was really funny, not to mention that I've always loved that show. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Thank you very much for having me.